1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train, though he will come up as he normally does, and we are talking a a blend of genres that I never thought I would say, rock stars and Secret Agents. I have two wonderful guys. I can't wait to hear their story. I can't wait to hear their friendship. I have Jay Watson. Welcome, Jay.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: And Kyle Wiltshire.
2: Yes, Wiltshire. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. So glad to be here.
1: And yeah, your premise is all these stars that died young didn't really die. They faked their death so they could go save the world.
2: Yeah, that's right. We, we wrote a book called The Dead Rock Stars. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that is the exact premise. All, well, many of your favorite uh, rock stars who tragically passed away too soon. What if they didn't die? What if they faked their deaths and they became secret agents and they've been uh, secretly protecting the world for decades? That's the premise of our story.
1: I, I love that story. I just think the idea, because we often talk about it's a tragedy we lost someone so young we lost someone so creative so they could have had so much more music to share and the idea that there is a alternate universe somewhere where they may not be making music to make the world better but they are still working to make the music making the world better in another way and also probably making a little music on the side right
3: that's so very nice
1: all right I always like to start at the beginning. We'll start with you, Jay. Where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to when you were younger?
4: I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and loved every second of being here. Surrounded by music, you walk into people's houses and there'd be gold records on the wall and you didn't think anything about it. My parents tell a great story about being at the farmer's market and running into Johnny Cash and him walking around in a black shirt and black shorts (laughs) and uh, just how nice it is. And uh, even today to bump into Jack white uh, at the airport or something like that is not unheard of or uncommon at all. Uh, It's a wonderful place to be. My mom loved all kinds of music, grew up in the church. So there's a lot of church music, but as a child of the eighties, I remember being in her car. She listened to a lot of Huey Lewis. She listened to Chicago. I think the first cassette tape I ever had was Chicago and then she loved Whitney Houston. So that I believe the children are the future. I heard that probably <laughs> 1600 times. So a little bit of pop music on the front end. The cocktail soundtrack with Kokomo from the Beach Boys on there. And then what was that song? Was it Julie Warner and one of the Everly brothers? One of the, I had the time oh. of my life, the Dirty Dancing yeah. theme song. Yeah. Man. That was fun. We, uh, we listened to that kind of stuff. And then growing up, got a little, of course, country music was important in the nineties and uh, I went to a Garth Brooks show and I got to see him and it wasn't until much later in life that I really got into rock and roll.
1: Okay. Interesting. All right, Kyle, how about you? Same question.
2: You know what? It's really interesting. We didn't have a lot of music in the house growing up. I remember we had a record player and we had a stack of records I remember Andy Williams' Christmas record, but that's really it. I can't identify what any of those other records might have been. We never listened to them. So there wasn't a whole lot of music in my house. I was the one that sort of found the music and brought it in sometimes sneaking it in. I remember I had a my my best friend cut me a bootleg cassette tape of Def Leppard's Hysteria and I had that on a little tape tape recorder that I'd listen to. I'd put it under my pillow and I listened to it at night. <laughs> I was the one that kind of brought the music into the house a little bit, but there wasn't a whole lot of there wasn't a whole lot of music in my house growing up until and I, this is just coming to me. And I can't believe I didn't remember this. Somewhere in the 90s I don't know how it happened or why, but my dad discovered Gloria Estefan and (laughs) I am not kidding. And the Miami sound machine. And it was just like, that's my jam.
4: uh, uh, Yes,
2: exactly. And so for every father's day for seven years, it was like, let's go find a new Gloria Estefan tape and give that to him.
4: (laughs) Hey, I got a question.
2: What did little Kyle Wiltshire
4: Think about the, what was his interpretation of the song by Def Leppard, Pour Some Sugar
2: On Me? What were you, no, I had no what were idea. you thinking there? No idea. All I liked was that I, I was a drummer at that time in my life, and they had a one arm drummer, and I thought that was the coolest thing I had ever heard of. And when I saw him on a music video, I was like, I, I want both my arms, but I want to do that. I want to be able to do what that guy does. But that's cool.
1: So you are not the first guest, uh, Kyle, to talk about, while other kids were smuggling in porn or alcohol or cigarettes, that they were smuggling in black market music, rock and roll, right? (laughs) They'll either be a big religious family or something. That's pretty cool. How did you two become friends?
4: Kyle tells a pretty good story about this, but it goes all the way back to 1996. I was a sophomore in college, and Kyle was a freshman.
2: Okay. I was sitting in my dorm room, and this is the truth. I was watching Rocky Three, and the truth is, if Jay hadn't come and knocked on my door, I might still be in that dorm room right now. That's the bottom line, but I'm, I'm sitting in my dorm room, I'm watching Rocky Three, and I hear a knock at my door, and I answer the door, and it's Jay Watson, and we had met one another, we knew one another, but we weren't like buddies yet or anything, and Jay didn't say it this way, but reading between the lines, basically what he said to me was, hey, come out of your room, we're going to be friends, and... It was ever since, like from that day to this day. It's like, we're shoulder to shoulder. We're best friends. We we do all kind of things all the time together. It's So yeah, that's our, our origin story. It was just a college thing. And he being the in- extrovert, me being the introvert, he dragged me out of my shell and, and brought me into the world.
1: <laughs> Where were you guys going to school?
2: We went to Union University, which is a little tiny school in Jackson, Tennessee. Okay. Right between Memphis and Nashville.
1: Okay. And what did you major in, Jay?
2: I majored in communication arts and broadcasting.
1: Okay. And you, Kyle?
2: I majored in Christian ethics. Okay. Yeah, that helps a lot when you're writing a, a book about uh, dead rock stars, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we could go for a whole sub-genre of Christian ethics and the Christian right and that that we will not go though that would yeah, be a like, fun discussion
4: i feel like we're slipping into another podcast yeah exactly
1: <laughs> yeah and you mentioned you became a rock and roll fan later talk to me about that tell me a little bit about it
4: i was very much exposed to pop music growing up a lot of pop music i at kyle you're telling that uh, def leppard a story a uh, hysteria story at sneaking into bed i've got one better i was a horrible sneaker so I would get underneath the dining room table and I had a little boom box. Actually, it was this size. I had a boom yeah. box and I snuck in a tape of Tone Lokes, Funky Cole Medina and Wild Thing. And <laughs> I tried my best to listen to that underneath the dining room table. And like, no, no headphones, no nothing. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, yeah, so that didn't go well. But it's funny that you, that I think about it now, but like Kyle had a pretty significant impact on My rock and roll journey, somewhere around 96 or 97, I started really listening to rock and roll. There's a lot of good stuff coming out. of the sweet spot of grunge music and all those kind of things. And Kyle was like, man, you got to listen to U2. I'm like, no, I don't. U2 is like a 100 years old. Who cares about U2? And Kyle was like, no, I'm going to make you the greatest CD ever. And so he made me a U2, I still have it, a U2 CD of all these very specific songs. You put on there, Staring at the Sun, but it was a, an
2: alternate version. Do you remember which one? Yeah, it was a live version from a... Uh, of course, this is the late 90s, so CD singles were still a thing. And so you'd have the the single track, and then you'd have three or four kind of extra B-side tracks. Sometimes U2 would throw live songs on there. And so they had a live version that was so good. And so I put that on that CD for him when I made that. But U2 was a, a pretty influential in getting me into
4: kind of the bigger rock scene. And then I moved on to alternative rock, indie rock, that kind of place. I was, I missed the Bruce train pretty much. I didn't really, I wasn't exposed to Bruce other than the big ones. And uh, it's funny because I feel like I caught him in a weird way because I feel like the killers and some other stuff, especially the sound Samstown album is very much Bruce. In fact, Bruce does some songs with the killers. And so I've uh, grown in appreciation of Bruce through my love for the killers.
1: Yeah, he down south, we one of the worst insults you can give is they forgot where they came from. And it feels like Bruce has never forgotten where he came from. He remembers his roots. And also, because people were so good to him growing up, he's been very helpful to people, new artists coming up and helping. And so that's cool. How about you, Kyle? Any? Yeah, so
2: yeah, I'm sorry to to me. Catch up. No,
1: I'm just saying two questions. One, if you helped Jay raise his music IQ, <laughs> besides getting you out of your shell, was there anything that Jay did for you?
2: Oh man, when it comes to music, for sure, I, I exposed Jay to, to YouTube because as you are the College Entrance Exam analogies, as you are to Bruce Springsteen, I am to YouTube. That is my my band, and when I first heard their music, it was like this is it. I have found the music that I will love for the rest of my life. There'll be other things that come and go that kind of I appreciate but there's nothing I'm gonna love like the way I love you too so So, yeah
1: I want to interrupt you just for a minute because I asked this question when I have a Bruce fan on is can you articulate one can you remember when you first heard you two and can you articulate what about them spoke to you and Jay think about if whatever artist you want to name and I'm going to ask you the same thing okay
2: Yeah, for sure. There's two distinct memories. The first one is fifth grade. I'm in my best friend's room. We're playing probably Mike Tyson's Punch Out and or something like that, Contra. And I hear coming from his brother's room next door, this sound. I'm like, what is that? And I I try to come closer and he's playing at high volume. Here's what I hear. There's been a lot of talk about this next song. Maybe too much talk. This song is not a rebel song. This song is Sunday, Bloody Sunday. And, and I was like, what is that? It just, like something about it just went straight into my veins. And I just mainlined U2 right there. And so I was like, I have to hear this sound. And so Sunday, Bloody Sunday, from my my, my best friend's brother's room, was the first time I ever heard U2 that I ever like recognized. And I was like, what is that? I, I remembered they hung around, but I didn't like, I wasn't dyed in the wool at that point. And then another time in 91, maybe 92, i was sitting in my parents' car. They had gone into the grocery store. So I'm listening to the weekly top 40. I remember it was a Sunday night. And at that point, the Octune Baby album had come out. And the single Mysterious Ways was number seven on the chart. I remember all of this so clearly. And I heard that song. And when it was over, it was Rick D's. You remember Rick D's in the weekly top 40. Yeah, 30? I was going
1: to ask you if it was Casey Kasem because I grew up older. I'm older than dirt. So I grew <laughs> up with Casey Kasem, American top 40. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to ask you who was the host when you were doing this. Okay, yeah, I do remember Rick D's doing
2: that. It was Rick D's. And when the song was over, this is what I remember him saying. I don't remember if this is actually what he said, but this is what I heard. He said, that is one of the coolest songs I have ever heard. And something about that was like, like, he's right. That is such a cool song. And from then on, it was like, I got nothing else. Like, this is it. I went to Kmart. I bought Octoon Baby. Like, Kmart was still a thing in 91. Know, bought that album. I had no other place to listen to it but in a living room. So I put the headphones on, plug it in, and just uh, on on repeat. And it just, that that is, to this day, Desert Island. I can only have one piece of music. Give me Optune, baby, YouTube, And so it was just on from there. So yeah, that those were my like origin story, remembrances of how I got into YouTube. That's awesome.
0: Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them.
1: Do you have a band that speaks to you that way, Jay? I,
4: I would say the first band that ever caused me, first person that ever caused me to wake up to being a rock, the first rock star I ever fell in love with was Garth Brooks. Garth did something that I'd never seen before. He actually looked like he was having the time of his life every time he was on stage. I'd never seen somebody be so excited. And I've seen him several times. I've seen him in the, the later years here recently, and he's still the same way. I don't believe it's an act. I think he genuinely is blown away when he realizes how much people love his music. I watched him run across a stage, jump onto a ladder. I saw the Standing Outside the Fire tour, and I just loved it. I also think that country music in particular is uh some of it's really sad. Like most yeah. of the really good country songs are heartbreaking. And there were all kinds of things that he did that I thought were really interesting. Friends in Low Places for me was a song that I had never heard anybody do that before the way he did it. And it was like, I wanted to be in that dive bar. And he's currently building it here in Nashville right now, but I don't think it looks anything like the song. But I just was, I was blown away by his passion, his excitement, his energy, and the fact that you could just tell he genuinely loved music. So Garth was probably my first like rock star just because he was. That's what he was doing. He was playing the role of a rock star, even though he was wearing a cowboy hat.
1: I don't know how somehow garth and bruce haven't done something they' they have such energy and they're both such fantastic live performers it would seem like that just is waiting to happen obviously yeah, like you a... two and bruce are they are very much in sync and have done things for each other all the time
2: Yeah, Um, that that Garth Brooks, Bruce Springsteen connection feels a little bit like Johnny Cash and Bob Dylan, two different genres, but something spiritually connects them. That'd be such a great collaboration. Yeah, one of
1: of my favorite is when Dylan and Cash do that duet together, right? Yeah. Girl from the North Country, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it just, you just, that just seems, wow, what a great thing. Jesse,
4: I'm a big indie rock fan. One of my favorite current bands is the bleachers and I'm guessing you have heard everything that Bruce has ever done. Yeah. Have you heard the Bruce Springsteen and bleacher song that they did? Yes. I love it. It's fantastic. Bruce sounds so good in it. And I'm not even sure how long he's in the song. Like I feel like he's there, but you don't really hear him. And all of a sudden it's him and his voice. Yeah. It's a great song.
2: (laughs) So, So
1: I always like to preface this question with the amount of times you've seen Bruce or any band is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. There are people that, because they grew up on the East Coast during the 70s, probably saw him, a chance to see him hundreds of times. Then there's someone else growing up in Louisiana, like I did, that you never had a chance. But do you count how many times you've seen you two?
2: Yeah, I've seen him 11 times. Okay. And I saw Bono do his one-man show last year when he was touring for his book. But that's just Bono. To me, U2 is the four-legged table of Bono, Edge, Adam, and Larry. So what they're doing right now on the sphere is a little bit I'm a little I'm a little iffy on this with no Larry. <laughs> is he yes. still not back? Is he still down? He's hurt, yeah. He's on the disabled list. I don't know what's going he's on. A, yeah. We'll, we'll add injured. him to
4: the prayer list. We'll add him on the <laughs> yes, prayer list.
2: Absolutely.
4: What's um, the what's if... the most you paid for a YouTube ticket, Kyle?
2: Oh, good grief. I truly have no idea. Didn't no we pay idea. didn't we pay 200 bucks a piece for the Coldplay album, Coldplay the Viva La Vida tour? I, I don't remember that either, but I will tell you this, I know what I paid for my first U2 show. 1997. Okay. 1997. $56. And that got me to the second row. So my <laughs> first U2 show I saw it from the second row and it was like I'm grateful for it because like, I don't ever have to do this again because I've seen it. I've experienced it. The Edge heard me call his name and looked at me and gave me one of these. I, I don't have to do this again, so I just got to be in the building now from, from here on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> How about you, Jay? Do you have an artist that you go to routinely? How many times have you seen Garth live?
4: Just one. No, three times. I've seen him okay. three times. I've seen the Black Keys four times, and I've seen Jack White in various versions of Jack White. Yeah. Probably five, five or six. Okay. I've seen the Arcade Fire several times. That's uh, They're spiritually Springsteen There is, a, people. There is
1: certainly a – yeah. I will tell you that was one of my disappointments is um, several years ago I drove to Nashville to see Bruce. He was going to be here at the arena, and I there. just knew someone was going to join him on stage. I just knew it. It's – freaking nashville yeah because my first time i saw him don henley was living at the dallas at the time and my first show he showed up and they did i fought the law together Hmm. and i was like oh man nashville and no one came and i was just like come on could there be anyone now well jesse
2: i've seen bruce once i've seen him once and it was it was a happenstance pure coincidence my roommate at the time 2002 same time you saw him yeah uh, I guess that was the rising tour yeah uh, he he was going and they had a friend drop out and he said he just asked me hey man you want to go to the Springsteen show and I was not a, a big I was very yeah. respectful I knew the boss but yeah. I wasn't like but I was like yeah sure I'd love to go and uh so I saw him in Birmingham Alabama and we're sitting there the show's about to start and I see this beautiful, striking, silver-haired woman walks the arena, I was like, oh my goodness, that's Amy Lou Harris. And sure enough, Amy Lou Harris joined him for my hometown uh, oh, nice. on the show. It was so good. And I don't know that either of them are from, she, he's not from Birmingham, obviously. She, yeah. I don't think she's from Birmingham, but that's what they sang together. And it was so good. It was amazing. So th- yeah. that night, I definitely became a Bruce Springsteen fan. I, that that sent me on a on a Springsteen kick. I was definitely very into Bruce for a time after that show. So the
1: I went this last tour. I ended up seeing three shows had tickets for a fourth, but I got covid and then I mm. had two more tickets that he ended up canceling because he got sick but so, I saw him in Dallas, I saw him in Houston, and then I saw him in Austin and this was so funny. I had a couple of friends, like one of them specifically is from Canada, and it's like. Some old guy walked out on stage and introduced him. I think it's the mayor of Austin, maybe it was George Strait.
3: <laughs> oh. Oh, it man. probably
4: is the mayor of Austin. That's, yeah, That's
1: like, I'm gonna introduce someone who needs no introduction, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Austin, please <laughs> put your hands together for, and welcome Bruce Springsteen, the East Street Band. He did not perform. I was so hoping, I was like, like. George has got to come out. What would they do? What would they do together? Oh, this has (laughs) got to be. But uh, no, I guess Mm. George just wanted to enjoy the show. So that's great.
4: I don't know Mm. if George is performing anymore.
1: I think he's, I I know he's officially retired, but still will routinely do shows. Yeah. So let's, I've read your website. So I know the story, but my listeners don't. Obviously you guys have stayed friends since college talk about the origin of the dead rock stars and i'm sure you guys are got this pitch down yeah, I'll we, let you we're, guys whoever normally takes lead
4: we should switch this up kyle okay
2: <laughs>
4: you could you tell the story you tell the you story start, and i'll all. finish okay kyle and i kyle and i talk almost every day like we uh, especially when I was commuting I don't commute as much anymore and, and he doesn't at all so there's not as much drive time but when we had 20 or 30 minutes just about every morning we would talk and we never talked about our families we never talked about important things we talked about tv and film and movies and books and more times than not we got into the plot the story Kyle is amazing at picking apart a plot. He can find something wrong with anything, plot holes. And I'm more of a, man, that was awesome. And so we always talked about movies. We always talked about plots. We always talked about directors, choices they made. And uh, on a regular occasion, we we would say, we should do this. We could probably do this better than them, which is something that every nerd probably says at some point in their life. When they don't do anything about it. And one day I I was driving to work and Kyle had an idea.
2: Yeah. So for years, again, just ideas come and go. And so we'd pitch each other ideas and stuff. What about this? What about this? Some of them were good. Some of them were not so good. And I had this idea that I just held on to. And so I, I, same thing I told you at the beginning of the, the, of our time together. I said, Hey, what about, what if these rock stars fake their deaths and they're actually secret agents and Jay like pause And he said, Kyle, that's not a million dollar idea. That's a billion dollar universe that you've just created. We need to do this. And so I just was like, Yeah, sure. Whatever. We had tried a few things before in the past. We tried to launch a website, but we had never really seen anything through to the finish line. And I am in our relationship. It's so beautiful. He's strong where I'm weak and I'm strong where he's weak. And so he's the gas pedal and I'm the brake. And so he's got, so often he's got to say, no, we got to do this. And so he had to take the impetus to say, let's get together. Let's make a plan. I'll write the first two chapters. We'll see how it goes. And so sure enough, we got together, we mapped out four chapters. This is how we want to start it. Um, he wrote the first two. They were so good. I was so inspired. I wrote the next two. And it was like, I think we can do this. We planned a few more chapters. Before we knew it, we had eight or 12 chapters. We were like a third of a way into the book. We're like, what are we doing here? We're writing a book. Let's do this. And that was 2018 when we started. And it's crazy to think about this, Kyle. I don't think we've talked about this yet. So, Jess, you
4: get a new new hot take from the other podcast. Uh, Yay! (laughs) um, I had self-published my first book in 2018. And so I'd done something that I didn't know I could do. And I had an idea. And a friend of mine, we worked on it. And he did graphic design. And I was able to put it out. And I was able to, to, to finish something. I wrote it in six weeks. It's a short little thing. I wrote it in six weeks. We had it out in eight weeks on Amazon. And it was cool because I got to hold it in my hands. And so Kyle brought up this idea and I, I always need something to creatively engage myself. I built a disc golf course. I'd never built a disc golf course before. Like I just wanted to do it. And so I figured out how to do it. And so the book was the same thing. I wrote a book and I'd finished it and it was out. And Kyle brought up this idea and it just kept nagging at me a little bit. I thought, how much fun would it be to write fiction? How much fun would it be to write a story? I think ultimately we wanted to write a movie, but we didn't know how to write a script. And so we felt like it was going to be easier to do a book. And uh, Kyle talked about it. We talked about it again. He had this other idea. He was like, what if the bad guy was X? And uh, I was like, okay, that's really interesting. Why would it be that way? And So we started to talk about it. And it was after it was a number of weeks, maybe even months where I finally was like, hey, man, I can't get this idea out of my head. I think this could be a universe. I think this could be something that spans hundreds of years. I think it could be really interesting, all the different directions it could take, all the backstories, all the news stories, all the different things. Man, why don't we start talking about characters? I was like, why don't you just I'm just going to write something and then we'll see if it's any good or not. And if we like it, we'll keep going. And that's exactly what Kyle talked about. We birthed something. We took, uh yellow stick-it notes, post-it notes on the whiteboard and just laid out like what we do for each chapter. And I, I want to say we weren't terribly off in what we did as far as the beginning and the end, but a whole lot of more uh, uh, three-dimension stuff kind of birthed from that. And uh, we just started swapping chapters and writing with somebody is interesting because I think both of us were a little insecure. And so we got to be each other's cheerleaders a little bit. And then also we got to be each other's guardrails where it's okay. What's the story about? We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. And the combined effect was much greater than just me by myself or just Kyle by himself. It was really cool. For sure.
1: The, cause I'm now sitting here thinking, right? Like how far back can you go? You can absolutely think that Jimmy Rogers was could have been an early. So when you think about other people that we lost young and creativity, that this has been Brad Meltzer is a, a mystery writer and he has he's written books, a series that there's since Washington, there's always been this secret organization mm-hmm. that's there helping the country stay. I, and I, Can I spoil yeah. it, Kyle? Yeah. Can
4: I give a little backstory of what we do, or would you really not?
2: You, yeah, just keep it keep it thirty thousand feet. Let's not get okay. into the weeds. Okay.
4: <laughs> In eighteen sixty five, Abraham Lincoln began the Secret Service. That's true. A year later, he he died. In our version, he faked his death because he felt he could be more valuable to the country dead than he could be alive. And so he led a portion of the Secret Service behind the scenes with a fake death with really unlimited resources. And he birthed the DRS. And so every so many years, a president would fake their death and they would take over. And then in our story, the 1950s, rock stars became more influential than anyone else in the world. And so that's where this new iteration of the DRS begins. And in our book in 1999, something even more unique is happening rock stars are no more no longer the most influential people but tech stars are think about steve jobs think about bill gates think about zuckerberg think about now elon musk these people are now the new rock stars they're the most famous people in the world the richest people in the world the bezos of the world and so we created a character That is, in the early, in the late 90s, someone that we get to watch this world changing, and he gets to look into the universe as the world is changing for them, and he is the new DRS member that we get to see the lens of the book through.
1: love that premise because it's unique, but it also has a familiarity, right? Oh, I can't think of the writer, but he's done a series of The President's Vampire. That is this, it's a wonderful series. The idea that this guy was cursed, but he was a patriot. So he also fights all the evil things that are out there that people don't want to face. So I love this premise. How much backstory did you think you had to go okay you've got you've got a pitch okay what if all these rock stars who died early they fake their own death so they can go be secret agents from there though how much in depth and how much thought did you guys have to building this world this universe
2: yeah it's it's a tricky thing because you're dealing with real people right. who, who were really alive and, and for real they're not alive anymore even yeah. no matter what in in the 1999 with the National Enquirer would say Elvis Presley seen at the yeah. shopping mall they're actually dead but in our fictionalized world we knew that we wanted to try to portray these people close to who they were but at the same time they're not the same age as they were when they died right. so they would have evolved what would lead them to to fake their death to join a secret society so many of the so many of the the ones from the 60s and 70s truly died from drug abuse, and so is there an element of recovery, of of redemption, and a second chance for a lot of people who who tragically passed away too too soon. And so we wanted to tie a lot of that in. The true, I think, secret sauce that we tried to 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 cook up was we're never going to hit a bullseye of exactly what's well, exactly who this person was, but we we're trying to hit a target. Though we get close enough where. Oh yeah, that's something Elvis Presley would probably have done, but we can't know him exactly. We can't know it. we can read some books and we can do some watch some interviews and those sort of things to get a feel for how they talk. And those this is research that we did to try to create some authenticity, but we knew we couldn't just absolutely get it perfect. But we wanted to get it close enough where somebody who's a huge fan, let's just hypothetically alternate universe. Bruce Springsteen passed away in 1975 instead of going into the career he had, and you read the book. And, and you're like, oh yeah, I can hear the boss saying that. I can, that was what we were going for. Not a, this is exactly like they were, this is close enough where it makes sense. And it's yeah. like, yeah, this is, this has a ring of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Jay, did you have, were
1: you just nodding? Just thinking? Uh, yeah, I didn't no, know he nailed anything it. Else.
2: Okay. I, yeah. I think that
4: we lost a lot of really fun people too soon. Yeah. And to be able to give them another life And to be able to right some wrongs and at the same time celebrate them is a lot of fun. And we wanted to treat the characters with reverence. We didn't want to treat them as uh, punchlines or jokes. We didn't want to treat them as people that we uh, didn't care about. But we tried to treat all these beloved people as their fans would like it. And some of the choices people aren't going to like. But we feel that we stay true to the spirit of these characters there was some fun stuff we did too that was just because we thought it was funny
1: yeah i'm sitting here thinking that i've always thought in my mind there's an alternate universe where colonel parker lost the battle and elvis starred in a star is born instead of christopher christopherson
3: right Mm.
2: and
1: Mm. that was a true story they wanted him but Parker said he has to get top billing and Barbra Stry says, no, I get top billing. And so it ended. And so I wonder sometimes if he had done that and had been as good as people think he could have been early movies, would that have changed his life? Um, yeah. I know that Andrew Hickey, who does this great history of rock and roll and 500 songs, is believed that. Elvis was going to die young because his mother did, because he had some chronic health issues, forget the abuse. But it's nice to think that if he had had this resurgent, this career as an actor, something good. So was there debate? And I'm trying, like I said, I haven't read the book yet, so I may be going spoilers. So if it is, uh, I'll let you pretend it. You can sound like River Song if you're a Doctor Who fan and go spoilers. Um is this always volunteer or sometimes are they drafted? Like I could, was there a debate on that? By the way, you were close to an overdose. We found you. We fixed you. By the way, everyone thinks you're dead. You've now been drafted into
2: the DRS. So that, that's a great idea. <laughs> we, well, no, we, we, uh, we should have thought of that. We should have <laughs> thought of that, Jay. We should have. We honestly don't delve into, other than our main character, Cole Denton, who is yeah. the protagonist of our story, really other than him, we don't really delve into too much of anyone's recruitment, any of the rock stars, their recruitment into, into the team. But my, my in my, in my headcanon that we've never talked about, that maybe they'll put in the encyclopedia one day, uh, but in my headcanon, it's all voluntary. You can't. Okay. You can't do something like this by coercion. You've got to willingly, willingly walk away from your life and your family and your fortune and all those things those people had. That if they were, if this were true and they truly did walk away, the choices they would have had to make, it had to be a pretty sober choice, sober minded to say, yeah, walk away from all this because I need it or because I feel like I can really, I can help save the world. And two, these people lived a
4: lot of them, most of them. Incredibly charmed lives they the world was very good to them, and so when fame when whatever when addiction with, with abuse, whatever got a hold of them, the thought of being able to have a second life and to be able to protect the world that had been so good to them made a lot of sense and some of this is grounded slightly in reality Elvis Presley always wanted to be a secret agent. Like he, yeah. that was a, that. like the, the whole Nixon and Elvis story and him being high as a kite when he's wanting to be a part of the drug enforcement agency. Like you go to Graceland and you see all the badges that he has. I was gonna say,
1: yeah, that collection of yeah. badges. He was it's, honorary. Yeah.
4: So there's a little bit of, especially if you're an Elvis fan, like I am, like there's a little bit of fun to think about 60 year old Elvis running the DRS and calling the shots and getting to do karate chops and yeah, save the day.
1: Yeah. And then I also like, I'm seeing in my mind, the recruitment pitch, right? Like it, it almost is this, you're picking your successor. And so you got to figure out who is the right person that you go. That's good. It's good. So what surprised you about the process of writing a book? And we'll start with you, Kyle, and then I'll go with you, Jay. Did you learn anything about yourselves or the process as you did this?
2: Yeah. When you hold a, a book in your hand and, and you look at the words and if get a word counter, you go, how on earth, how can anybody write that many words? Our, our book is just a shy of a hundred thousand words. And you would tell me at the start of the process, your book's going to be a hundred thousand words. Now, of course- two people are writing this. So 50, 50, 50, but either way, I I said, how can you do that? How that's impossible. I remember writing papers in college and just being like, I'm straining to get to the word limit that I'm supposed to, how do I stretch this out? I write a page at the end of opinion stuff. I think this is blah, blah, blah. All that to say, I was shocked as we got into the writing, as we got in the process, it was almost like this sounds so corny and stupid. But I mean it like I could place my fingers on the keys and I could turn my mind off, honestly, and they would just go and it would just flow out of me. Have you seen the Pixar movie Soul when the guy's playing the the piano and and he's just he's in euphoria like I had moments of that where it was just like. And I had to come up for air and I was like, Will Ferrell in old school, what just happened? I had had moments like that, that I couldn't believe, like, how is this happening? How is this just flowing out of me? It's so much easier than I thought. Now that doesn't mean it's easy, but just as you get into the story, as you get passionate about it, as you get excited about it, I found that, wow, writing is not just actually getting words on a page. Now, if it's any good or not, that's for anyone else to decide, but getting that many words on a page and creating a story, I found that to be easier than I ever imagined.
1: How about you? How about you, Jay?
2: In
4: real life, I'm pretty opinionated. Okay. And I like (laughs) to think that I'm right all the time. And you can say anything. If you put no offense in front of a sentence, you can say anything you want. So no offense, but Kyle. Yeah, Yeah. no offense. But Kyle is stubborn and (laughs) he might not be as vocal about his opinions, but he thinks he's right inside his brain. And I'll just say it on the outside. And so I was really concerned. That a 20 plus year friendship was going to struggle to be able to speak truth, to be able to be delicate, to be able to work together. And I was surprised how wonderful a working marriage it was because Kyle has said this before, but I think we both have enough respect for each other and enough care and love that we were able to speak each other's language. And there would be things that I'd be really excited about and it would find important to me. And after so many conversations, he'd let me do that. And if there was something for him, I'd do the same. And so it wasn't that we chose not to die on any very specific hills when it came to, if somebody was passionate about something, we had this mindset of, it's our story. We can do whatever we want. And if we want to do that, yeah, let's do it. And so that was wonderfully fun. And then I I think one of my biggest surprise, one of my favorite things is we went off to a, a, a house on the river to read our story and decide if we had it right before the content editor started to work. And we got done with it.
2: And what was our thought, Kyle? We read the last line and I looked at Jay and I went, Jay, we did it. We wrote a good story. (laughs) That sounds maybe self-serving, but I really felt like those times in the car when we'd be like, why is Highlander 2 so bad? I cannot believe they would do that. Or whatever movie that we're picking apart. We looked at it and went, I think we did it. I think we told a pretty airtight, pretty good story. Now, somebody else may be able to pick it apart. I'm sure someone can, but I felt really proud of of what we did. And I thought, hey, man, I think we did pretty good. And we spent a lot of time combing
4: over the details because we did not want a younger Jay and Kyle somewhere being like, I can't believe they did that. Now, when they make the movie, that's not on us because we're not going to have a control of that. But as far as the book goes... Start to finish, it makes sense. And there are a couple of things you're like, could that even happen? Yeah, it could happen because we spent time thinking about it. Can, <laughs> can the dead rock stars have a million acre you know, facility? Yes, they can. There are a million acre ranches. <laughs> so we spent a lot of time working through the particulars and I'm not saying there's not plot holes, but it's going to be, you're going to be nitpicking pretty good to be able to make it happen.
1: The I love that process. I don't know... I'm a big fan of Penn and Teller and Penn does a podcast and he talks about that one of the things that he doesn't understand is politeness in a partnership because him and Teller are absolutely brutal to each other. And that's a piece of crap. That's a horrible idea. And he said, and the reason we do that is we If it's a bad idea, we want the other one to say it so we can get it out of the way and get to the next idea that maybe it'll be good. And if you can't convince me that it's good, then it's not that good of an idea. And I love that honesty, right? And I could see the friendship of because... I've got a couple of friends that are in creative, and I always think of my friend Tom. There are, when he sends out, he's working on a graphic novel in the process. He makes it very clear if something isn't working, you need to tell me. If you don't understand something, you need to tell me. If I've, Name someone wrong. Tell me. I don't need someone. I don't need my friend to go, oh, this was great, Tom. I need someone, another set of eyes. Because if it's not working for you, there's a good chance it's not going to work for the other readers. And that's great. You guys were able to do that and keep your friendship. And in fact, it feels like you guys got even closer.
2: Oh, I'd say so for sure. Creative partnership. I think, is built on respectful compromise. And and what I believed 100%, and I believe what Jay believed 100% was that what we cared most about in this creative partnership was re- creating the best story that we could. And so if I was fighting for something, Jay would need to think about it and go, okay, maybe, I, maybe that is the best thing for the story. And at the, in the same token, if he thought about it, I don't think that's the best thing to the story. And I would need to think about it and go, maybe you're right. Maybe we don't need to take it that direction. Maybe we don't need to add that element. And vice versa. So there was that degree of compromise, but it was built upon the foundation of all we want to do is tell an amazing story. All we want to wow. do is tell this great story. And so I believe him and he believes me. And we. And like he said, we learn to speak one another's creative language and and, yeah. and also learn that We're not gonna we're not gonna die on any hills unless it's worth dying on.
4: And two, it's fun for Penn to be able to say that today, but how many decades have they been working together? Yeah. Who knows what it was like week one or project (laughs) one? And so I would say Kyle and I at the beginning of this process were gentle, and by the end, we were much more honest about our thoughts, and it didn't offend us because we had been making good stuff together. And so once it's good, you have this feeling of oh, this is good or this is not so good. And so we were more direct, I think, towards the end. And I think in book two, we'll probably be the same way. Like there, there have been times where I never in my life thought Kyle would be like, that's a bad idea just because yeah. Kyle's not that type of right assertiveness when it comes to his feelings. And we got to that, we got to that point. And so I think as we begin to write book two and book three, we probably will be a little bit more like Penn and Teller, but that's just after I think you cultivate trust and respect.
1: Yeah. And I think that's, he's talked about that, that sometimes it's hard to be a partnership when you love someone. And he said, him and Teller, he says, and make sure he is the first person that held both of my children, that he is by far my best friend, but we are a business first. And it is about this. And so I like that idea that we just, they just heard an interview. I just heard an interview with Jerry Jones from the Dallas Cowboys' daughter. She's the one who arranges the, she's in charge of marketing and she's the one that arranges the Red Kettle Thanksgiving Day concert, that halftime show. And by the way, the mom game is the podcast. It you see her, Charlotte Jones. She tells a story that she was like only twenty seven when she went to the the networks and pitched. I want you to make your halftime show longer so we can do a concert to raise money for the United Way or the Salvation Army. And and but he she says there are courses. That tell you, don't go in business with your family, right? Because <laughs> they're, that can be, and she goes, luckily, we, my dad, my mom, my two brothers, and I all know what you're good at and what I'm good at. And we don't try to step on each other's toes. Do you guys have some of that where you mentioned that a little bit earlier, but I want to go back to that. Are you both have different strengths in storytelling? And we'll go Jay.
4: Yes. Very early on, I was really comfortable writing action. I was comfortable writing jokes. I was comfortable writing dialogue between characters and movement. I really, I think, excelled at that. Kyle was terrific at world building. Kyle was terrific at continuity. Kyle was terrific at just making things make sense and be in order and the chronology of all of it like he did a really great job with that and as we grew what was fun because this was our first piece of fiction and we literally decided we got two goals our our number one goal is we need to break even on this project (laughs) our number two goal was we'd love to get published and we managed to do both of those things but in the middle of that it was like we can do whatever we want and so Kyle would be like, I want to write an action chapter. be like, great, man. Knock yourself out. And he got really good at it. I improved my detail. I'm the king of a a 2,000-word chapter. Kyle's chapters were 4,000. And before it was over with, we were able to fix that. I would leave out points that I thought everybody understood, but I was able to help. I was able to grow in my continuity. And Kyle got to have more fun. And he started thinking about things, music is interwoven in every chapter we have a spotify playlist that uh, connects all of these songs together in chronology of how they show up in the book and it's this mixture of buddy holly to counting crows it's all over the place and kyle was able to piece that together and well kyle really had a lot of fun when he started to write his action pieces be like and this song came on and it was like it gave gave new life to what it was so that hopefully when people read the book, they're going to listen to the playlist and they'll be able to get that feeling as it goes
2: along.
1: Kyle, anything to share?
2: Yeah. Taking a page from you too. I I read one of their books. I was in a teenager or whatever, and they talked about how they decided from the beginning that it's the four of us and it's a quarter. Every one of us is a quarter. So Bono doesn't have a little more because he's the lead vocalist and the other guys have a little less. It's, everyone gets a quarter and so jay and i when we we started this thing off, we're like 50-50. we are 50-50 in everything and i think one of the things that was so uh, cool is what jay talked about is that the the evolution of of our process and but also of our ability and and the, and the fun things some of the creative things that that jay came up with the fun things that i would have never would have never thought about a slight spoiler here, but the the place where the dead rock stars live is called the netherworld. And Jay created the the netherworld. And you'll find that in a chapter. And uh, and if it would have been up to me, it would have been the Justice League. It would have been this concrete building with a long table, and they all sit around it, and that's what it would have been. But Jay had this really creative idea of where they lived, and they've got all these resources, so they have perfect replicas of their homes. So there's a Graceland too in this. So there's all these things that that are there, and that all came from him. And I was like, man, I'm so glad I have him because the Justice League would have been boring. This is awesome. This creativity, yeah. and and why you can't see it. So we're gonna have to address as technology gets better, Jay. Just put that in your hat and, and think yeah. about it. But you know why it's not visible, and all these other things. And so it's just it's just fun to see our creativity, our individual strengths. And then to see us both grow as the process went on. It took us, you know, out of the day one to, to day end, but it was about years. That it took us from start to finish, from the time that we finished the book. What did you say to start the, the book to you gurgled about, on me there? Did you say three years? About three years. Yeah. From the yeah. time when we started 2018. Yeah. I think we, we hit period the period of the last sentence in, in 21, I think.
4: Yeah, late 20, 21. And then yeah. we found an amazing content editor. That allowed us to. We did write a hundred thousand words, and I think uh, you can correct me on this, Kyle, or you can just pretend I'm right. But I think <laughs> he whittled it down to ninety two thousand words. Like he yeah. took eight thousand words out of our story to make it more efficient. And his ability to do that, like one of the things he pointed out, was we never named any buildings, and so we'd be talking <laughs> about a place, and there was very little actually or even explaining the more detailed picture of what something looked like. And so our content editor was huge for us to be able to point out some things that needed to be fleshed out.
1: Did you guys, were you planning one and done, or were you guys in in the back of your mind, hey, if this goes well, we can do some other books. Did you save some stuff?
4: Since I coined it, the front end, it's a universe. Right. We have a plan, and Kyle, you can talk about the plan, but because the story is a couple hundred years and all these decades of all these different types, sure. It could go in any direction. And it could be that it has a life well beyond us into graphic novels, into cartoons, into whatever. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that we're super interested in helming all of that. I don't think I don't think we want to be JK. I think we would really yeah. like to have other things that we do. We've got some other ideas. But for this particular story, when it comes to the books, Kyle, you want to talk about what we've got coming up?
2: Yeah, I think what we want to do is a trilogy. I'm a Star Wars guy, and I love a good trilogy. Those that, when you start getting beyond three, they get a little dicey. And and so I feel like that's what we wanted. And also in the back of my mind was Elvis has this song called um, the American Trilogy. And, And so in my mind, I was like, Elvis is a key part of our story. We need to tell the American trilogy, three three stories, one, one story with three different parts. So we, from the beginning, we're like, this: it's going to be more than one. It's going to be more than one.
1: All right. So if someone wants the book, where do they go?
2: You can find it anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, Barnes and Noble, I mean, anywhere you Google it, you'll find it. It can be bought there. However, if you would like an autographed copy, you can get that from our website, Dead Sorry. Special Edition Autograph. That's right. DeadRockstarsBook.com is where you can find that. And you can get an autographed copy of that book. Special Christmas sale going right now. It's cheaper than it was.
1: Okay. <laughs> Very nice. I will make sure this is out before Christmas. All right, yeah. I will include the website in the notes. Yeah. What should I have asked you that I haven't? And
2: Kyle. I That's a good question. Let me think on that for just a second. I may have some dead air, so you may want to cut that out. We didn't really get to talk about Cole Denton. Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. We could talk about him. There is a a mention. Since this is a Bruce Springsteen podcast, we got to pay homage to the boss. Yes, Mm -hmm. There is a mention of Bruce Springsteen in the book in one of the early chapters. There's some conversation. They want to bring someone new onto the team and... I I wrote part of that chapter. So the first suggestion was let's go get Bono. But then the next suggestion was, why don't we go get the boss? So he is he's in the book. He's in the Very book.
1: Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Very cool.
2: Spoiler alert, man. A little yeah. bit. Yeah, a little <laughs> bit. We we
1: share <laughs> no, a little spoilers here.
4: Sorry it's, about that. It's Jesse, you're getting the good stuff tonight, man.
1: I feel blessed. I feel yeah. very blessed. <laughs> I've been told I make people feel comfortable, so that's hopefully
2: I, absolutely. That's
1: I like that. All right. I feel like we could just keep talking because I'd love the challenges of how do you find a publisher and what this all this stuff. But I think I've kept you too long. But before I let you go, I end every podcast with the Mary question. So if you are a fan of the dead rock stars universe and you're checking this podcast out thank you for listening the merry question is jay armstrong by the way has a new book out too but he used to be a high school english teacher and he when he was teaching he would print out the lyrics to the song thunder road and would give it to his class And they would discuss it as if it was a poem discussing the imagery Bruce uses, the themes they explore, would compare it to Robert Frost and other American poets. And then he would ask at the end of the day, does Mary get in the car? So, Kyle, I'm going to start with you. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road?
2: Uh, I love this song. That is one of the songs he played that night that I saw him in Birmingham in 2002. It was fantastic. Such a great song. Uh, I thought of that question until you, you posed that to us. And so I spent some time listening to the song over and over again, reading those lyrics. And I'm going to say, oh, he's trying to get her off that porch, that song. He's begging her to get off that porch. He doesn't do her any favors. He says she they're not that young anymore. She ain't that good looking. He tells her to get in the back. Then he tells her to get in the front. So there's he's all over the and he's got a guitar and he's gonna make it, he's gonna make it talk. But he doesn't have a lot going for himself either. I think she's rejected so many guys and he's just trying his hardest to get her off that porch. I think she's staying on the porch. She's going to stay right there. That's my, maybe that's a little bit uh, pessimistic. I started thinking, is this a personality profile? You're no. Gonna um, us?
1: <laughs> it, it, um, go ahead. I'm going to give Jay a chance to answer and then I'll give you a little insight. Jay.
2: Kyle, I'll
4: take the opposite approach. I'll play the devil's advocate to your story just for funsies. All right. um, I, I've never heard the song before today and I spent a, good bit of time searching the interwebs and learning a little bit about it, including 1958 or whatever Robert Mitchum movie and where it was titled and all those things and how he had different women's names. Uh, I think there was uh, an Angelina and then a Christy before it became Mary. And so uh, I did a little bit of research into this and I fell in love with the idea of capturing a moment in time that was these small town people where cars are the most important thing ever, trying to make it out of their little small town and go to the big city. And so I would say Mary did turn down every small town country bumpkin. She did turn down all these people and Bruce, the boss or whoever the character was in the story was telling her the truth. He wasn't telling her she was amazing and they'd spend the rest of their life and they'd have beautiful babies. He was saying, This is who I am and this is who you are. So let's get in this car and let's go do something different. Let's go make something real happen. And it's also, I would say, lots of innuendo as well. A lot of things happen in the backseat of cars. Sometimes they happen in the front seat of cars. And so both those things are going on. But I think she was enticed by his offer because it was different than all the other boys that had asked her all those other times.
1: Very nice. Great answers, both of you. About 50-50. Half the people on the show say yes. Other half say no. So you guys are perfect. You guys didn't affect (laughs) the ratings at all. Yeah, there we go. Mm. It is a, I love ending the podcast with that question because often someone like yourself, Jay, has never heard the song. I think it's an absolutely amazing song. I think it's
4: a piece of, it's a piece of art for sure. There's no, no question.
1: Yeah, it's, it's in the discussion of Springsteen's greatest song. I won't say deliberately it is, but often like, I'm not saying Joe Montana is the greatest quarterback of all times, but he's got to be in the discussion. Right. And uh, same thing. And then someone like you, who's a file, a fan, Kyle will go, I've never thought of that. Mm. And it gives you a fresh perspective on Thunder Road.
4: Jesse, what is your favorite Bruce song? What is number one for you?
1: I have two.
4: Okay. That's fine. All
1: the time. Yeah. Land of hope and dreams which is a song that originally was on the live album and then they put an official release on, on wrecking ball. It's land of hope and dreams. It is what people think born in the USA is Hmm. born in the USA is not this. Hey, America's great. Yeah, It's
4: like (laughs) Vietnam, right?
1: Yeah. But land of hope and dreams is about we can get this together. And then, a song that was done during the dark years, you know, off, um, is called "Better Days," and "Better Days" is a song that is about, I, I'm sitting around waiting for my life to begin while it's all just drifting away, and so the whole idea is the song is, I believe that we, too many people say when we get time we'll write the book. When the kid's out of diapers, then I'm going to enjoy being a father. When I get that raise, then I'm going to feel successful at work. When I get out of college versus this is it. This is the journey and you have to enjoy every, these are the better days. And Hmm. so those are my two. And then third changes every day. Thunder
4: Road, Backstreet's
1: Born to Run.
4: If you don't mind, if you don't mind, Kyle, what's
2: your favorite U2 song? I don't know that I've ever asked. Oh, this is great. Man, it it changes a lot. And I told you all the story of mysterious ways for years, yeah. I would say mysterious ways. But I'm just drawn into Where the Streets Have No Name. Nah. Yeah, That just that is heavenly. That song is yeah, just now it is. Yeah. So and, and it's like, you know, it's like saying what's your favorite Beatles song is like, Day in the Life or Let It Be or one of the classics. Yeah. I, mean, I know it's one of the classics. And I know that doesn't make me like, I'm, I know I'm supposed to say like something like the, the no, seventh song on the October album or whatever, yeah. but man, it's where the streets have no name. I think that's it for me. Jesse, are you a U2? Uh... Yeah.
1: One would be one of my favorites. Okay. Yeah. I just love, we got to carry each other. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Johnny Cash does a kel hella version of one.
4: I haven't heard that. That's interesting. I thought yeah. you were going to talk about Johnny Cash's Wanderer.
1: Yeah. And then he actually does. Bruce has a song on Nebraska called highway patrolman and it is the story of two brothers one good one bad and johnny cash did a version of it and i think Mm. it's better than bruce's version wow oh wow it's just i believe it is better than bruce's version yeah i'm writing that down too i see that that. yeah Yeah. highway patrolman it was so good that sean penn did a movie based on it
3: okay
4: yeah
1: Yeah. so yeah one i'll
4: I'll chime in on you real quick if it's okay I don't know if we've ever talked about this, Kyle, but is the song End of the World? Is that where he says the world turns, we get dizzy? Slipping it's Last away. Night on Earth. Last Night on Earth. Yeah. Last Night on Earth is number one for me. Running to Stand Still is number two. And then my third one is, uh, we've never talked about this, or maybe we have, but it's on the, uh, I think it's on the Atomic Bomb album. It's one Closer to Knowing. One Step Closer to That's probably my whole yeah, time. got the memory. Now, the reason for that is because... Yeah. My wife and I had a a difficulty having children, and she thought she was pregnant, and so I listened to One Step Closer to Knowing as I was driving down the hill in Birmingham, Alabama, in Vestavia Hills to go to the CVS pharmacy to get a pregnancy test that I'd never bought before and didn't know, but I was one step closer to knowing. And, in fact, we were pregnant with twins, so it was amazing.
2: Oh, what a great story. Yeah, yeah. I remember – his or yeah. some his so much better. I'm, I'm not yeah. one of the having a name. No, no, no <laughs>
1: that's good because I remember Bono in an interview said something about when they need to bring the spirituality. There's something about streets that speaks yeah. to them. Every that's when
2: God walks in the room.
1: Yeah, in every January, toward the end of the NFL season, there's the debates about greatest halftime shows and. Obviously, as a Springsteen fan, in all the Springsteen fa- face groups and on Twitter, oh, Bruce is number one, Bruce is number one. And I go, Prince, and you too may have something to say about that.
4: I was at a certain age where. Michael Jackson showing up all over the stage and me oh. not knowing how he did that blew my mind that was like yeah. a Penn and teller magic trick that I didn't yes. understand I still yeah. I don't want anybody to explain it to me I still want to be amazed yeah. by that
1: I just remember the power of after 9 eleven and to see that strolling of all the victims and Bono having the American flag in his jacket. Yeah is just yeah. oh yeah that was good and then it rains during purple rain
3: it's raining during prince's purple rain that's pretty you know, good that's pretty that's good that's pretty good yeah that's do think, great.
4: do you think prince will be remembered as one of the greatest uh, as time goes on
1: i think so yeah, i think yeah. so i don't know speaking of bruce and the e-street band did a version of purple rain i don't know if you've ever seen it's on youtube mm. Niels Loftin tells the story that when he heard Prince died, he immediately pulled up Purple Rain and grabbed his guitar because he says, I know Bruce is going to want to do it. And I know he's going <laughs> to want me to do the guitar solo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's just what the question is, did, is he part of the dead rock stars?
2: <laughs> Our he's, story takes uh... place
4: in 1999. we'll have to see what happens in our
1: in our chronology yeah so i'm all curious now because you guys can go two ways right you can do a prequel or you can do a sequel or i'll give a little little hint both
4: i'll give a little hint yeah book two is going to be a combination of the godfather part two and empire strikes back
1: okay nice yeah. So, yeah, just
4: set the bar real low. You uh, know, yeah, right? yeah, you know, I don't, <laughs> only, I don't you know, mean to say that it's going to be exactly like it's going mean, to be as you know, good. Godfather
1: 2 considered one of the greatest sequels of all times, but yeah. I, I'm not
4: saying it's going to you know, be as good your, as those. Put, I'm put just your saying, bar low there. I'm just saying book two always needs uh, somebody to say, I'm your father.
1: Uh, I'm actually, thinking of Godfather 2, that answers my question, which whether you mean to or not. I do. It's both. It's, it's both. a prequel and It's a sequel right you, you get both so i can see how that would be great
4: we love taking complicated things or simple things and like having like fun with them for yeah. instance these rock stars we had a lot of fun thinking about the personalities thinking about who would play them in movies but moving it around the end of 1999 something that happens at the end of 1999 that anybody lived through it remembers the kind of hysteria about it in our future books we want to tackle different things that happen in history that are monumental that the drs may or may not had part in and so okay. that'll give you a little hint as well
1: that's interesting yeah i could see that i don't know if you guys watch for all mankind which is on apple tv it's excellent it's so good yeah. and this the new season showed linen plays because linen doesn't die in their alternate world but they talked about the y2k bug actually affected the spaceships and for Mm -hmm. us it was like eh there was really nothing that but i think that's that would be my guess that's 99 right away now i'm talking about we could do 2000 we could talk 2011 so yeah there could be pearl harbor oh wow (laughs) i'm just thinking of this now and i also Warehouse 13 had that same premise that.
4: Did um, you ever watch that Kyle? No. Sci-fi channel means yeah. Jesse, Jesse and I are nerdier than you are. Yeah. Is what that. Happened.
1: Um, <laughs> so the premise is that warehouse 13 was where they would store all these artifacts that have magical abilities. And it was, this is the 13th of it.
4: Indiana Jones and the crystal, whatever when they're in that warehouse that goes on forever. Yeah. That is warehouse 13. They have yeah. everything so, that you could ever imagine. So
1: like warehouse 12 would have been in Great Britain because that was the power at the time. Warehouse 13 was in the US. So they would go through like each new version of the warehouse would ever be whoever's the leading and you could argue warehouse 14 would probably be China. Mm. So so you guys could see I love that premise that where well, we're going to start out with presidents and then maybe you know business leaders capitalists I could see so yeah I'm if you guys ever need people to bounce story ideas off I'm here for you okay Love it that's awesome <laughs> yeah, thanks I
4: love man Love it that's great um, thank you We've had a lot of fun tonight thank you for having it
1: I have had a blast too I now I want to let you guys know the next time I'm Heading to Tennessee for a concert. I'm going to let you guys know and let's meet somewhere and just share. Absolutely. We'll pay for your meal. We got you. We'll pay for your meal.
4: That sounds great.
1: great. All right. Listeners, go to the website. Check it out for holiday. There is holiday savings on the book. It's also available wherever you find the books. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wherever you want. The Dead Rock Stars. Just, yeah, support the book. Let the guys know, go to the website, tell them you heard about it on set listing, Bruce. And I'm just going to say, Jay, Kyle, thank you so much for spending time with me.
2: It was great. Thank you for having us. This is so much fun. Definitely our pleasure. We had a blast. Yeah, this is Kindred spirits, kindred spirits for sure.
1: Absolutely. All right, listeners. Thank you guys for listening. Go check out the website. As I said, for now, be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.
3: There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at Setlusting Bruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469 249 2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts. Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Caggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon.